I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. As we are coming into this place of worship, this time of worship set aside for Christ, for our hearts to be renewed and lifted up in the presence of the Lord today. Would you lift your voices this morning as we worship through song together? Louder than the unbelief. 
seat as we prepare to uh, pray for the receiving of our tithes and offerings. But before we get to that point, uh, the teen and kids quizzing season is for district is coming to a close and they did fantastic this year. So uh, stand up if you were either uh, an adult volunteer, teen volunteer, or if you were a quizzer. Let's go ahead and stand up. There's several of them here. Some of them are gone. Awesome. Go ahead. They have a. They put a lot of work into it this year. 
Obviously, it was a creative year where they found uh, new and exciting ways to, to quiz, but uh, there's some trophies out there to acknowledge uh, their accomplishments. I'm not sure exactly what rankings they all got, so you can ask them individually how they did and how they did as those teams. I know that we have two quizzers. Uh, Elizabeth and Nathan are going on to the field NYI quiz, which will be at NNU or in conjunction with NNU. So congratulations to them too for, for doing so well with that. And also, uh, I had the privilege of last Monday and this coming Monday as well, we as a church received a meritorious um, award, achievement award for our church's availability and cooperation with the school district to host a remote learning site. It's also an acknowledgement of several of our people who were able to go to like Evergreen Middle School and serve, checking in students at various times. Uh, but just our church is out there in the community uh, being available to help in any way, especially with our schools and, and those, those students in need. And so that was just a privilege to be able to represent you in that and be there. And I just wanted to pass that on to you that uh, our church is doing things and we're involved. And it's great to be a part of that. Amen. Would you... Uh, Oh, before we do that, uh, for our tithes and offerings, you probably know this, but we have lots of different ways in which you uh, can give. There are boxes back there. You can slip an envelope in there on your way out. You can also give online through texting or through electronic giving through our website. So those are available to you. If you have any questions, feel free to let us know. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we come before you this morning and uh, we, we love the, to see the things that are happening in our church body, to see the, the ways that people are, are serving, the way that our teens and children are digging into the Bible to learn, uh, not just for the trophies that they get physically, but also for the wisdom and the knowledge that it, it gives them, that the equipping that they get for, for being able to live life and make good and godly decisions. It's great to be a part of a church that cares about our community, that's willing to serve, to open up our doors, uh, to have children here learning, be willing to go to those schools and serve them any way we can. And so I pray that this morning as we continue to worship and hear your word spoken, continue to uh, lift you up in praise and, and prayer, I pray that uh, we will continue to seek your path, both as a church family and also individually. You call each one of us to, uh, to serve you in any number of different ways. And I pray that we would earnestly continue to seek that and live that in our lives. Amen. As we continue in a heart of worship today, I invite you to reflect in your own life. As we sing these lyrics that some may be new, some may be familiar, and ask yourself, am I really living out the way that God is inviting me to live out? I really living out Christ's love in the way that God is inviting me to live out that love. This song has a point in it where it says, he left the 99, meaning that a shepherd typically would let one run astray. But this parable tells us that the shepherd left for just that one. And God died just for you and for me, and for us together. But what a beautiful blessing in that, as God didn't just die for us and sacrifice for us and love us, but calls us to live out his love to our neighbors, to those in our workplaces, to our children, to those at Fred Meyer even, in our responses, in our calls, in our texts, in our presence, in our awareness, God is calling us to live out his love and to see those around us, to not just rush by those around us, but to see them as one in which God created and one in which whom God's love dwells in. And as we continue in worship this morning, would you rest in that love, but also let that love challenge you? Would you be obedient to that this morning?
spoke a word you were singing over me and you have been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me you have been so so couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. All the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Still your love fought for me You have been so, so good to me When I felt no worth You paid it all for me You have been so, so kind to me
Hi, I'm Molly Morgan, and this is O'Neill, and we're going to be reading Psalm 23 today. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He re renews, renews my, my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside. beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Neil's with us here in person today on Family Sunday. That takes a lot of courage, O'Neill. You did great. Way to go, buddy. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning as we continue in a heart of worship and as we prepare to pray together corporately. And if you're online, I encourage you to just take a moment to quiet yourself, to maybe change your posture before Christ and welcome him into this moment, into your heart, into your life. But as we've been when talking about this morning, are we really living the way that God is calling us? And the belief that we have in Christ is something that cannot be shaken. Let's worship and praise him this morning. In this time of desperation, when all we know is doubt and fear, there is only one foundation. We believe, we believe in this broken when all is dark, you help us see. There is only one salvation. We believe, we believe, we believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion, we believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back again. We believe. So. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he's coming back again. Let the lost be found and the dead be raised. In the here and now, let love invade. Let the church live loud. Our God will say, we believe, we believe. And the gates of hell will not prevail. For the power of God has torn the veil. Now we know your love will never 
continue to pray that you feel comfortable with and uh, would you just join together in prayer this morning dear Lord we uh, we come before you humbly it is great to to be a part of a church that that seeks to follow you as we see the the ways in which we serve the ways in which we try to grow uh, Lord I, I I pray that as we um, We've seen this past month, the ways in which you've worked in and through our people, that we would be blessed by that, and that we would be encouraged to continue on to find ways to serve you, continue on to find ways to serve our community. There's, there is much need. There are many people who don't know you. There are many people who are struggling day to day with basic uh, survival needs, basic uh, issues that we may be able to come alongside and, and love them. Uh, both in spirit, but also in, in the resources we have. So I pray that uh, you continue to place that burden on our hearts to serve others. Well, good morning and welcome. As we continue together in this Easter season, I did say season. We're used to seasons, right? This is this is our, our third spring here in Spokane Valley, and I love this season. This is the time of year where it's like every day there's a new color that you see. There's trees with flowers blooming. There's plants growing. Everything, something Every day, there's a, a new sign of life emerging. And that's some of why in the church, we take Easter as a season as well. Easter is more than just one day. You can take a day to remember events that have happened. But Easter is not just about an event that happened 2,000 years ago. Easter is about the fact that because God raised Jesus from the dead, that new life is coming, that, that there is a very real and powerful transformation that can happen in our lives here and now. Amen? Easter isn't just about the forgiveness of sins. Easter is about the restoration of life as God intended it to be. And so the reason we, we come together in this season is because that is our desire, that's my desire as a pastor, but I, I hope that that's all of our desires as followers of Jesus Christ, that, that we would live the kinds of lives where, where the life that is characterized by love and hope and peace and joy, that that kind of life would just continue to be made known through us. As Pastor Billy prayed just a moment ago, that, that we would live holy lives, that we would live the kinds of lives that would show and demonstrate the love and grace of God at work in us. Amen? Yeah. I think if we acknowledge that, we realize that sometimes that's hard to do. You know, we gather together here and we, we say, yes, let's do this. And then we, we go out into our weekly lives and it can be challenging sometimes to allow the love of God to form and shape us as we live that out. And we also recognize that, that in this lifetime, there is not one of us who has grown as far as we can grow. There's all growth for us to, ex to continue to experience through God's grace at work within us, right? 
You with me there? So we gather together because that's our desire to, to allow God to, to form us and shape us. You know, I've been thinking about some of this, and, and sometimes when we talk about Easter, we just talk about the, the, the freedom that comes from sin, the, the freedom from sin, but it's not just being set free from that, it's being redeemed, restored, and that's true for us as individuals, but it's also so much bigger than that. We don't always talk about this, but the reality is that the consequences of sin are not just individual, but that there are are corporate consequences to sin. There are consequences to sin that extend beyond that of the one who has sinned. It's easy to see in some big ways. If I... um, if I say, hold on a minute, I got to do something, I run outside and I happen to steal your car, my sin won't just affect me, it'll affect you when you try to get home this afternoon, right? Sin, but in all areas, the consequences of sin affect so many people. That's some of why even in scripture we see these ideas like in, in Romans when, when Paul says that all creation groans awaiting for God's redemption to come. That's why in places like Revelation, we we see the words of Jesus, I am making all things new. This redemptive work of God is is stretching so far beyond us and to redeem all of God's creation. And so we live in this sort of already and not yet. We've experienced the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this new life, this redemptive work of God is, is already here among us but it's not yet come in its fullness. So we find ourselves living in the midst of this tension and trying to live faithfully in the midst of that. You know, I've been thinking of all of this this week as I was getting ready for, for this morning. And also, you know, one of the things I do as a pastor is I, I often just find myself reflecting on how can we as the church live faithfully in the world today, especially in light of some of the challenges that we face And you know, this last year plus has been a time that has been full of so many challenges. So many challenges where it's been challenging for us to to figure out how can we live faithfully as God's people, to be witnesses of God in the midst of the brokenness that we face in this world. I found myself thinking about some of that again today, and 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 actually over this last week, as I've been praying and thinking, I just I felt like I just needed to name some of those challenges for us this morning. Not not that I have all the answers. I I do not have all the answers. Anybody here have all the answers to the challenges in life? Chloe has all the answers. So talk to Chloe. Do you want to preach for me this morning? <laughs> You know, one of the things that has been a reality that we've been reminded of this last year, and even a lot this last week, is is the challenges of racial injustice in the world around us. I don't know and understand all of those difficulties and challenges. I have friends, and I even have family members whose tone of skin is different than mine. And I don't understand all of the challenges they have to face. But I know that some of my friends and some of my family members have to go through stuff that I don't have to go through. And we live in a world that has so much brokenness. And yet the call that we have as God's people is to be a people who show love and grace to everyone, right? And what we see too is that because of Jesus Christ, It doesn't matter anymore if you're a male or female, a slave or free, a Jew or Gentile or black or brown or white. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? But there's still a lot of brokenness in our world. And honestly, I don't know what to do with all of that. But I know that the world is not yet as it should be. And my desire is that as God's people, we can help live in to the gracious, redeeming work of God in our world. In areas like that, and in so many more. I don't know what to do with all of that today other than just naming that for us this morning. I suppose in some ways I'm reminded that these challenges are so much bigger than any one of us. 
that there are, are powers and systems and structures at play in the world that are bigger than any of us or be even bigger than all of us. And maybe part of why I think of that is, is the passage we're gonna look at today also wrestles some with issues of powers and structures in the world around. And how is it that God's people live faithfully in the midst of those challenges in the world in which we face? So I, I just uh, invite you to join with me in, in a part of, of the book of Acts. We're, we're spending this Easter season working through the book of Acts because in many ways, Acts is where we see the church trying to live into the reality of the resurrection. Through God's power at work in the life of God's followers through the Holy Spirit, what does it look like for the church to, to face the, the challenges in the world, but yet be faithful to the calling that we have as followers of Jesus Christ? So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to join me in Acts chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 5 today. If you're able to this morning, I just invite you to stand as we read God's word. The next day, the leaders, elders, and legal experts gathered in Jerusalem, along with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others from the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and asked, by what power or in what name did you do this? Then Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, answered, leaders of the people and elders, are we being examined today because something good was done for a sick person, a good deed that healed him? If so, then you and all the people of Israel need to know that this man stands healthy before you because of the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone the builders rejected. He has become the cornerstone. Salvation can be found in no one else. Throughout the whole world, no other name has been given among humans through which we must be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. Amen. You know, these verses in chapter 4 are actually a, a follow-up to chapter 3. If you, if you were with us last week, you, you probably remember that in chapter 3, Peter and John were on their way to the temple. They were headed to the temple to go and worship God. They, they went regularly to the temple, and it was just an ordinary day. They, they were headed to the temple when they encountered a man outside of the temple who had been born lame. And this man just did what he knew to do. He, he asked for charity. He, he asked for some money. It was the only, the only thing he could do to earn any money was to ask for people to have charity on him. And so, so he sat outside the temple where he did every day asking for alms. And Peter replied to him and said, I don't have any money to give to you, but let me give you something else. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he took the man by the hand and the barriers that had once existed physically and spiritually for this man were removed through the name of Jesus. And this man got up and walked and entered into the temple with Peter and John. For the first time in his life, he entered into the temple, into this, this place of worship. He was, he was able to be there in, in this place where God's people gathered to worship God. Well, there was a lot of folks who were there in the temple that day who had also come to worship, and these were the kinds of folks who had come to the temple when it wasn't a special occasion, and so they were the kinds of folks who had passed this man sitting outside at the gate on multiple occasions, and so when they saw him there in the temple, they were trying to make sense of what had happened. How, how could a man who had been lame his whole life, I mean, surely he'd done something to put himself into this situation, either him or his family. So how could this person all of a sudden be healed and be here in the temple? So these crowds gathered and Peter said, hey, listen, we didn't do this. Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the one God's people have hoped for. The one who is from Nazareth, the one who came from the place where the least people come from, meaning that God's love is available not only to the greatest, but to the least. This is the one who has healed this man that you see standing before you. 
And we're told that people saw this and there was no way that they could explain this away. And so as a result of that, the numbers of the early church grew to over 5,000 that day. Just this remarkable story, right? Well, it's, it's as a result of this story that the, and the result of the preaching of the good news that, uh, of the resurrection that there were some who saw what was happening. You see, the, the message of the resurrection is a message of good news. It's a message of good news because bonds are broken. New life is given. People are set free. And who doesn't like to be set free from things that have held you captive? Well, sometimes, though, that is challenging. Any of you have any bad habits? Bad habits. Those things we wish we didn't do, we know we shouldn't do, we want to change, but we have difficulty changing those things. You know, we've experienced that even just with habits, right? But the reality is that, that sin can hold people captive as well. When I was growing up, there was a, the, my, my age in my church, it was myself and about five or six girls, which, you know, when you get a little older, is okay, but when you're young, it's not okay, right? And so there was another boy in my church who, who was a year younger than I was, and so occasionally we would, we would get together, do some things and stuff, and by about the time we got, hit, got into high school, though, kind of our paths sort of went opposite directions, he kind of started hanging out with a different crowd than I did, and you probably kind of know where this story is going. He hung out with a crowd. He made, started making some choices that were not some of the best kinds of choices. By the time we went to college, I'd kind of lost, lost touch of anything until a few years into college, I, I heard that he had come home at Christmas, and he was trying to get his life straightened out. He was trying to get refocused into some areas, and, and I don't know all of the specifics, but, but, but I know he was on some, some medication for something, and one of the warnings with this medication was if he drank alcohol, it could very likely kill him. And he went to visit some friends of his, not far from here, at Washington State University, he went to visit some friends of his, and they were getting together, and they were going to be drinking and he knew the warnings. But one of the choices he'd made is he'd become addicted to alcohol. And even in spite of the warnings of what could happen if he drank, do you know what he did? He drank. And it killed him. It killed him. He knew what would happen, and he did it anyway. That's the kind of effect that sin can have on our lives. It can blind us. It can hold us captive. And so even though this message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was good news for this man who had been born lame, there were some folks for whom this was not good news. See, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that the tables are being turned. What has been upside down is being made right side up and that, that God's grace is bursting into the world and making all things new. That is good news, but there are some who like the way that things are and who don't want things to change. And that's actually what we see happening in these verses we read just a few moments ago. See, we're introduced to this group of religious leaders who were called Sadducees. The Sadducees were one of kind of three main groups of, of thinking within the Jewish faith. And actually, the word Sadducee comes from the Hebrew word for righteousness, for righteousness, for, for living in ways that would honor and glorify God, to live a, a righteous life. After the Babylonian exile, this group of, of Sadducees were actually given authority to be priests in the temple, and so they became the guardians of the temple. In Jewish faith, one of the predominant thoughts was that the temple was the dwelling place of God on earth that the temple was where God dwelt on earth. And so that's why people would come to the temple to worship so they could come and be there in the presence of God. So the Sadducees saw their role as guardians of this temple, guardians of this holy place. It was up to them to make sure that, that, the, that the holiness of this place was kept intact. 
They were also the ones who, who monitored and, and, and handled what happened there. They, they handled the, the sacrificial system, which the sacrificial system for the Jewish people was the means of fellowship between God and God's people. It's what people did to continue to maintain right relationship between them and God. And so the Sadducees were, were over all of this stuff. They maintained all of these things there in that place. There's one other thing about the Sadducees that, that might be helpful for, to know for, for our context today. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. A lot of Jews believed at the end of time that God would, that there would be the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe that. They just couldn't come to the place of understanding that. Just hold, hold on to that for a moment here. By the first century, the Sadducees who had been called out to be the ones who would protect the holiness of the temple, by the first century, the Sadducees had become a part of the aristocracy. They had grown into this place of power and influence. And they kind of came into this positional power, and as a result of that, they got a lot of the things that went along with that. And because they had grown to this place of, of power, they, were, they looked favorably, or at least they worked with the Romans who had controlled their country. See, the Romans thought, well, if, if they have this control of authority, if they can maintain that, that's okay. And so the Romans gave the Sadducees some freedom. And as long as the Sadducees kind of maintained the status quo, they could continue living at sort of this elevated place of society. They could kind of live the good life and, and have all of these things. And so as a result of that, some of their religious thinking of the Sadducees had been co-opted by, by concerns of, of things like politics and power and reputation. They allowed politics and power and reputation to influence the way that they understood their faith. Just as an aside for a moment, if you ever allow politics to shape the way you understand your faith, that's not a good place to be. You know, there, there's two sides of this coin. There are some churches today that, that are more about politics and power rather than faith. But on the other side of this coin, there are some people today who, who hold their, their political beliefs without allowing their faith to examine their political beliefs. And neither of those places are good places to be. So for the Sadducees, they were, they were focused on, on maintaining the status quo. And here is Peter and John who came to the temple and, and, and they spoke the name of Jesus and this man who had been lame all of a sudden could walk and enter into the temple. But worse than that, people gathered around to hear what this was and, and Peter is proclaiming this message of the resurrection. He's saying, guess what? Jesus was raised to life, and because Jesus has been raised to life, because he's conquered sin and death, this man who had been lame his whole life can now walk. And these are the kinds of things that happen in the lives of people. When God's power is let loose in the lives of people, their lives are radically changed. And people were drawn to that message. And that was troubling for the Sadducees. It was troubling for a couple of reasons. One, as guardians of the temple, they weren't really okay with people preaching a message of resurrection inside of the temple. But there was a second reason that this was concerning. People liked this message. They were drawn to this message and crowds were gathering. And think just for a moment what can happen. If you have people who hear this message, this message that says, hey, guess what? The status quo in the world the world as we tend to see it, it doesn't have to be that way. That can get people excited about the future, right? Well, guess what? Rome did not like large crowds that, that believed that life didn't have to stay the way that it was. Because sometimes those crowds would lead to things like rebellion, and so the Sadducees saw these people being drawn to this message of resurrection and they worried that if Rome kind of got concerned about this, that that might also affect their position of power within the community. Do you see these struggles here for them? 
And so they have Peter and John arrested and they, they, throw, them, they throw them in jail overnight. And, and then the, the next morning, they kind of convene this who's who of all the Sadducees. They get all the smart, powerful Sadducees into the room. And then they just bring in these common, ordinary guys to talk to them about faith and to teach them how things really work. As we read, Peter is inspired by the Holy Spirit and he speaks. He speaks about what it is that God is doing. He, he speaks that Jesus is the Nazarene, that, that he is the one who cares about everybody from greatest to least, that he is the savior, that, that he is the rock, this rock that, that people have rejected that has become the cornerstone. We'll get to that in just a moment. And Peter says too that salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. The Sadducees aren't sure what to do with all of this because there's something about Peter. He's not just talking about something that he's read about, but there's something about the way that he is doing this. The message of the resurrection was not just a doctrine that Peter believed, it was something that he had experienced and his life was changed. And all of this is coming through when he's speaking. And so these religious leaders can't really put a finger on it, but they know that there's something here that's different than it's happened before. And there's a lot that's, that's taking place here within this. So I want to get back. One of the descriptions that Peter gives us is that Jesus is the cornerstone. So that Jesus was the rock that had been rejected, but in reality, he is the cornerstone. You know, a cornerstone has this really important function when it comes to a building. It's that thing that keeps everything else together. And Peter is saying that Jesus was a stone that looked shaped different than you were used to finding stones shaped. And so it was just kind of cast aside by folks. They thought somebody who lives their life in that way, who does these things, that is not somebody worthy of following. So he was cast aside, but in reality, he was the cornerstone. Now, that's a powerful message. That's a powerful image for us. Anyone know where we get this idea of, of the stone that was rejected has become the cornerstone? It's a quotation in your Bibles. It's from Psalm 118. But this idea of, of the rock kind of goes back even farther than that. In the book of Daniel, we, we, get, we get a glimpse of some of what is happening here. The book of Daniel is this wonderful book that takes place right after God's people have been exiled. They've been conquered by the Babylonians, and the best and brightest have been gathered up and shipped to Babylon. And it tells the story, in many ways, of the, Bab or of the, of the Hebrew people through the lives of several individuals. Daniel and Daniel's three friends. Who knows the names of Daniel's three friends? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? It's actually their Babylonian names. But we hear the story of, of God's people, how they try to be faithful in the midst of exile through the lives of these several individuals. At first, when they're exiled to Babylon, the, the, they're brought into the palace. They're, they're recognized for what they can contribute to the palace of Babylon. And so, so they're brought into the palace. And here, here's a place where even as captives, they have an opportunity to have a lot of privilege and power. Being asked to work in the palace would give them a level of power and privilege and authority that most of the other people would not have. But to have some of that privilege and power means that they would have to give up some of their Jewish ways of living. And so for Daniel and his friends, they say, I'm sorry, we can't do that. There are some things that they do. They actually, they take on Babylonian names. You just said three of the Babylonian names that they took on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were not their names when they lived back in Judah. Those were Babylonian names that were given to them. They took on names, but there were many other ways in which they, they didn't give in to some of the changes that Babylon was asking of them. And as a result of that, it actually put them in great danger, but God would protect them. In, in chapter 2 of the book of Daniel, the king, the Babylonian king, has this dream that just terrifies him. And so he asks for all of the wise people in their country to say, somebody needs to tell me my dream and what my dream means. And so you know what these people do? They say, okay, we're happy to help you. What's your dream? 
And the king says, no, it's not the way this is going to work this time. You tell me my dream, and you tell me what my dream means. Well, what's the response of the people? We can't do that. How are we supposed to tell you what your dream was? If you, if you tell us your dream, then we can tell you what it means. And so the king orders that all these wise people are to be killed. Well, somebody comes for Daniel, and Daniel's like, well, what's going on here? And he says, hold on a second. Tell, tell the king that, that God can do this. So Daniel prays, and time goes. He ends up before the king, and Daniel says, let me tell you what your dream was. In your dream, there was this giant statue made out of different metals, different parts of the statue made out of different metals. And in your dream, there was a rock that was cut out from a mountain, but not cut out with human hands. And this rock struck the statue, and the statue crumbled to ashes, and the ashes were scattered. And then this rock that was cut out from the mountain grew to become a mountain that covered the entire earth. We find out that what this dream means is that the statue represents Babylon and future kingdoms that will raise up, that will exert their power, that will exert their way. But do you know what the rock represents? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that will come, that will knock down these earthly kingdoms, and that will grow to become this mountain that covers the whole earth. See, there's this message in the book of Daniel that that there are these kingdoms of this world that will come and that will exert power, that will do their things, but those kingdoms will not last forever. That God's kingdom will knock down those earthly kingdoms and that God's kingdom will reign forever and ever. Later on in the book of Daniel, it talks about some of this way in which God is working and it introduces us to some of this language of the son of man. Do you know who we know of referred to as the son of man? Jesus. And Jesus is also referred to the rock that becomes the cornerstone. You know, in the book of Daniel, we're reminded that there are earthly powers. There are earthly things And there are powers in this world that live not as things should be. And then in the midst of the powers of this world, God's people are called to faithfulness even in the midst of opposition. And that God's people are also called to patience. One of the questions that Daniel wrestles with and doesn't really give us an answer to is when is the time going to come when all of those kingdoms fall and God's kingdom reigns? And we don't have a good answer for that other than knowing that it will happen, that it will come. So one of the things that Daniel forces the Hebrew people to wrestle with and us to wrestle with is how do we remain faithful and how do we live with hope in the midst of challenges when we don't know the timeline? You know, that's some of what Acts is wrestling with here as well. As this early church is struggling with these people who want to maintain the status quo, And the early church is saying, guess what? The status quo is not status quo anymore because Jesus is alive. And the redemptive work of God is beginning to happen in this world. And someday God's redemptive plan is going to happen in fruition. In totality, right? It's going to happen. And Daniel and Acts force us as the church to wrestle with this reality. We live in a world full of all kinds of powers. We live in a world full of all kinds of things that aren't yet as they should be. But those things will not have the final say. The stone that was rejected has become the cornerstone. The kingdom of God that is bursting into this world will one day come in its fullness and the kingdom of God is what will last forever. And how do we live faithfully in the midst of that? How do we live out faithfully into that to, to, to be patient, to live with the hope and trust that we have? You know, in the book of Acts, we see that the nature of the kingdom of God is working itself out in the lives of people, like the man who was born lame and who can now walk. 
And because of that, God's people are continually reminded to live into the broken world with hope and faithfulness, knowing that someday God's kingdom will come in its fullness and reign forever and ever. You know, there's all kinds of situations and challenges that we face. There's external challenges, there's internal ones. And I'm just reminded today, in this season of Easter, that the new life of Jesus Christ is made available to everyone. And that because Jesus has been raised from the dead, that we have hope and we have life in him. And our invitation is to live into that hope, but to do so with patience as we live the kinds of lives that bear witness of his kingdom to those around us. Amen? Lord, we thank you today that you are at work in our midst. Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of the challenges that we face in life, challenges that sometimes seem to be so insurmountable, that when all is said and done, that it is your kingdom that will remain. And so God, today, we just pray that you would help us as your people to live lives of hope, to live lives of faithfulness, to live lives of, of patience as we seek to live for you in ways in which the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ would be made known in and through our lives so that those around us would see and know and experience you. So God, today we pray that you would help us and that by the grace and power that's made available to us through your Holy Spirit, that we would live those kinds of lives for the furthering of your kingdom. In your name, amen.